The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning, Ecclesia. How are you? It's good to be back. This is the third time I've been here, and we just love the community, the worship, um, you. So thank you for being like a a home away from home for Jan and I as we come down from Abilene. Um, If you don't know, my wife Jan is right down here. She's a theater teacher. She's the bright dresser in the family. Uh, I was noticing on the elevator how she always looks like a garden, um, and I always wear shirts I buy at Tractor Supply. Um, I kid you not, I bought this at Tractor Supply. That's my my goal in life, to be a runway model uh, for Tractor Supply. And my, and my son Brendan's here. He drove up from Galveston. He's down at UTMB. So he came up and worshiped with us. And this is a funny story about the Becks. So Brendan is down interviewing at UTMB. And, you know, they're doing the like, any other questions? You know, we've answered all your questions about coming down here and starting school. And Brendan raises his hand and says, my mom would like me to ask about hurricanes. And um, they're like, oh, no, that's a question. You know, so we're, we become big hurricane fans um, uh, up in Abilene, like a common uh, discussion uh, with my wife and I in the morning is like, how's that storm shaping? I'm like, well, it's going to run into a dry air mass, a lot of wind shear. I don't think the storm will organize. He's safe. That's, that's how the Becks uh, think about weather now. So anyway, good to be here. Hey, I want to jump right in to our text, Acts chapter 14. And the reason why I had become so fascinated with this particular text is because there's a very unique sermon here. In Acts 14, we get to hear the first sermon that was ever preached to a holy pagan audience. Up to this point in the book of Acts, Peter, Stephen, Paul, whenever they've proclaimed Jesus the Messiah, they were speaking to Jewish audiences or to Gentile audiences that were God-fearing. They they were Torah literate. And so that meant that the gospel proclamation could assume some basic background knowledge, like they knew Moses, they knew the Ten Commandments, they knew the Ten Plagues in Exodus, they knew King David, they knew the promises made to Abraham. And so this gospel proclamations up to this point in Acts were always like beginning with Abraham and Moses and David, bringing us to Jesus, Israel's Messiah. But then in Acts 14, we find ourselves in Lystra. And Paul and Barnabas are going to proclaim the gospel to an audience that knows none of that. They they have seen no veggie tales. They have no idea what this story is. So they're sitting there and Paul has to begin literally from scratch. And he's going to try to point their attention to the God that has always surrounded them. As he'll say in the next chapter, right? In God, we live, move, and have our being. He is not far from any one of us. And yet, you've never seen him. You've never heard of him. You don't know his name. Where is Paul going to begin? He can't speak about the Old Testament. Where does he start? That's what I want you to pay attention to, to the very first sermon that couldn't talk about Abraham or Moses or David. How does Paul point their attention to God? In Acts 14, so here's the story. Paul has just completed a healing. He's healed a man, and the the audience there assumes that Zeus and Hermes have come down from Mount Olympus and visited them. It's like a Percy Jackson movie has just broken out. They're like, no, no. Zeus and Hermes are here and they're going to offer a sacrifice to the gods of Olympus who have come down and they stop them. And then Paul steps up to the microphone and proclaims this 
sermon. They begin, friends, no, no, don't do this, right? Don't, don't offer this sacrifice. We are just humans like all of you, and we are not here to be worshipped. We're here to bring you good news, good news that you should turn from these worthless forms of worship and instead serve the living God. And notice what he does. How does he direct their attention? The God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, through previous generations, God has allowed nations to follow their own customs and religions, but even then, God has revealed himself. In some translations, it says, God has not left himself without a witness. God has not left himself without a witness. How? By doing good to you, giving you rain for your crops and fruitful seasons, season after season, filling your stomachs with food and your hearts with joy. Don't you love that? Paul's trying to draw their eyes and their minds, but especially their hearts to God. He's trying to point out God. You've seen God everywhere. He, he is the one that struck you and interrupted you in the sunset this morning, right? He is the God that spoke to you in the forests and in nature, right? God is the one that, that has brought you the rain in the cool weather, in the seasons of harvest that we're starting to move into right now. And he says, remember those times when you've gathered with family and friends around good meals. That was God speaking to you. And lastly, and I love this, he points them to their joy. Do, that feeling that you felt when you were little bitty, that ache of joy that you have been haunted by and, and chasing your entire life. That was God's voice speaking to you. He has not left himself without a witness. Now, the reason why I'm fascinated by this sermon is because last March, the Gallup polling company published a poll. And what they observed was this, that for the first time in the history of the United States, the first time in American history, the majority of the population no longer goes to church. For the first time in our history, the majority of our neighbors do not go to church. So America is officially now a, a post-Christian nation. It's the minority view now. But it's not just the rising tide of disbelief that we've been hearing about, right? The increasing rates of atheism and agnosticism, the rise of the nuns, people who increasingly check no religious affiliation at all. Like we feel this as well as people of faith. In the modern world, faith for us feels chronically um, fragile, uh, uh, breakable, increasingly um, debatable, uh, increasingly contestable. Our neighbors, social media, co-workers feel like they can just quickly put a, a question mark next to everything we believe. And in fact, we do that ourselves. We, we put a question mark next to the gospel 
to the church and kind of go, is any of this real? Is any of this real? We're kind of haunted by that kind of halo of doubt. Faith feels fragile for us. And it's not just us. I've told a small group of ours at our church recently that our mission fields now, our primary location of evangelism is in our own homes. We know that the faith is not sticking with the younger generations. And we're looking at our children and going like, how do I get this? How do I proclaim this unknown God to them? Sociologists have a name for what I'm describing. And it's going to be kind of some words that are going to inform this, the first of a teaching series. Sociologists of, of religion say, you know, 500 years ago, life was enchanted. It was kind of magical, supernatural. 500 years ago, everybody believed in God. And not just God, believed in angels, miracles, right? the demons and the devil. These were live realities in that world. And not just the enchantments of the Christian faith, but also the enchantments of the occult, spells and witchcraft and dark magic, mystical creatures in the forest. Like these were all live possibilities. The world once was stuffed with enchantment. But our world is dis enchanted. We live in a world of skepticism and science and technology. It reminds me of a, of a quote by the uh, Catholic contemplative writer Thomas Merton. And Thomas Merton describes it this way. Because life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and God is shining through it all the time. Now, this is not a fable or a nice story. It is true. And if we abandon ourselves to God, if we forget ourselves, we we see it sometimes. And maybe we see it frequently. Because God manifests himself everywhere and in everything. In people, in things, in nature, in events. It becomes very obvious that God is everywhere and in everything and that we cannot be without God. It is impossible. It is simply impossible. The only thing is we don't see it. The theologian Andrew Root describes it this way. He goes, a lot of us think that this disenchantment is a crisis of belief. A lot of my college students, that's what they think. That that Christianity is this long list of metaphysical and supernatural beliefs. And then somehow I just got to force myself to believe all these things that I find increasingly unbelievable. Right? It's a crisis of belief or faith. What Merton suggests here is it's not a crisis of believing, but a crisis of perception, seeing. God is everywhere, and you cannot be without God, but we don't see it. And Root turns to the the research of the psychologist Daniel Simons to describe what, what, what he means by that. Daniel Simons is a psychologist that has studied what is called attention blindness. And the most famous study out of Simons' lab is one you've probably seen on YouTube. It begins with... The screen saying, this is an awareness test. 
And then you see two basketball teams. You guys ever seen this? You see two basketball teams, one in dark jerseys, one in light jerseys. And then it says, this is an awareness task. Please count the passes that the white team makes. And so the teams start moving around and the white team starts passing the ball back and forth, back and forth. You're counting the passes. It ends and it says, how many passes did the white team make? You say, 16. But then the video says, but did you see the dancing gorilla? How many of you did not see the dancing gorilla the first time you saw this? Some hands have seen this, okay. Daniel Simons, has, his research has shown about 50% of people who watch this video don't see the dancing gorilla. I didn't see it the first time. I get to 16 passes, it says, did you see the dancing gorilla? I'm like, no. The video rewinds and lo and behold, in the middle of the passing teams, while I'm counting, a guy in a, in a gorilla suit walks out in the middle of the screen, like does a dance, and then walks off. And 50% of participants never see it. And psychologists have called that attention blindness, that your attention brings some piece of reality into view, but that same act of attention blinds you to the most obvious thing on the screen. Because, you know, the most obvious thing, if played straight, the most obvious thing is like there's a guy in a gorilla suit in the middle of the room. Like that's the most obvious thing. And the thing, so the thing staring at, at you in the face is the very thing you cannot see. God is everywhere and everything, and it is impossible not to be without God, but we don't see it. So Root is arguing that what we're dealing with, what's driving a disenchantment, is not a crisis of belief, forcing yourself to believe in unbelievable things. It is a crisis of attention blindness. Something obvious is right in front of us, and we can't perceive it. Tony Trebek, um, a pastor out in California, he shared with me the way he's communicated this to his audience out on the Pacific coast. And he compares this attention blindness to whale watching. They've, he and his wife have lived on the coast for like over a decade. And he, Tony, sees whales out in the Pacific all the time. He sees them all the time. His wife, to this day, has never seen a whale. Okay, and, and, and so his point is like, well, how do you see a whale? Okay, you know how you see a whale? You got to be by the water. You got to put yourself by the water and then you just got to be very patient and watch. And if you do that, you will see a whale. It's a practice of intentional attention. Now, I was telling Jan about the whale watching idea, and she said, you should see this thing on social media that I just saw. So Eric Smith is a nature photographer, and he took this picture um, of people uh, look, doing whale watching. These people are literally looking for a whale. That's what they're looking for, okay? And, he, and, and they were looking this way for the whale, and the whale came up right behind the boat, and he snapped it and went viral, okay? The whale's there, but our attention is not... Now, what's fascinating about, this is the second picture that he took that did this. In 2015, he took this picture. 
If this is not a commentary on the modern world, people, I don't know what is, right? Like a crisis of attention. There's a whale right next to your boat, but you're on your little screen saying, where is God? Where is that transcendent holy thing? I can't find it on my screen. And it's right, it's, it's the most, it's the dancing gorilla right next to you. So I don't know what is more blasphemous, God is the whale or God is a dancing gorilla. You guys work with that. <laughs> work with that. But it brings me back to Acts 14. Because that's what Paul is doing. He doesn't present to those people that day. Here's a long list of unbelievable things you must assent to. You know, that Jesus raised from the dead on the third day. You got to believe it. Right? That God is comprised of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Trinity, three in one. Believe it. It's not a long list of things to believe in. Rather, what does he do? He directs their, their attention to places where God has been speaking to them their whole lives. And he said, that thing that's been in front of you your whole life, the whale, has been breaching, and you've seen it. And so for some of you, you know, it, it's coming off the 13th green and you're interrupted again for, by the beauty of the natural world. God has not left himself without a witness. Or you're out there on the early morning and the water is calm and you throw the first line out for bass and again the peace of the morning in nature God has not left himself without a witness. Where it's pausing in the doorway of your child's bedroom and their face is completely relaxed and there's that slow, soft, rhythmic breathing. God has not left himself without a witness. Or in the middle of just the worst day ever and a text appears from your dear friend saying, I know this day is hard. I've been thinking about you. God has not left himself without a witness. Or is watching the baptismal waters trickle off the forehead of two babies this morning. God has not left himself without a witness. God is dancing right in front of you all of the time. It reminds me of a quote from one of my favorite authors, Marilyn Robinson. And this is from her novel, Gilead. She writes this. It has seemed to me sometimes as though the Lord breathes on this poor gray ember of creation and then it turns to radiance. For a moment, or a year, or the whole of a life. And then it sinks back into itself again. And to look at it, no one would know that it had anything to do with fire or light. Wherever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. And you don't have to bring a thing to it. 
except a little willingness to see. So brothers and sisters, as we enter into a season of thinking about how can we re-enchant our faith in this disenchanted age? How can we revitalize and shore up an increasingly fragile faith? Let me start off with this homework assignment. Pay attention this week to how you pay attention. Right? Pay attention to how you pay attention because this week at some moment, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but there will be something beautiful, holy, sacred in front of you. It'll be there right in front of you, but if you are not paying attention, that whale will breach and you will say, at the end of the day, I didn't see any whales. I didn't see or hear the witness. And I don't know when it's going to come to you. But there will be a moment this week. Where I want you to pay attention to that obvious thing. Not your distraction not your schedule, not the traffic in the work commute, not your boredom. And what's going to happen is they are standing in the line at a supermarket. The world will turn to fire and light. There in the midst of a work day, the world will shine like transfiguration. There in your home, you'll see it. You cannot be without God. That is impossible. But the only thing you need to do this week is bring a little willingness to see. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray for holy interruptions this week. Interrupt us when we are angry. Interrupt us when we are bored, stressed, or weary. Interrupt us in long lines. Interrupt us in traffic. Interrupt us in the morning routine to getting the kids to school. Father, give us eyes to see that the kingdom of God is in our midst, that the pearl of great price has been planted at my feet. Let me see your kingdom dancing right in front of me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.